For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey, welcome back to Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles, a Lee Enterprises podcast. I'm your host, Nat Cardona. On this podcast, you'll hear true crime stories as told by journalists from regional newspapers across the country. This is the final installment of our three-part series on the 2012 disappearance and murder of six-year-old Isabel Celis and the 2014 kidnapping and murder of Maribel Gonzalez. On the last episode, you were introduced to the man charged with their murders, Christopher Clements. Now, we jump to September of 2022. This is the first of his pair of trials on charges of kidnapping and murdering Maribel. Clements' ex-girlfriend, Melissa Stark, told the jury that Clements behaved strangely the night of and morning after Maribel disappeared. She also spoke of his fascination with the case after the teen's body was discovered days later. DNA evidence, cell phone records, and GPS were also used at trial. Ultimately, a Pima County jury of six men and six women spent about a day and a half deliberating before returning with a guilty verdict, convicting Christopher Clements of first-degree murder and kidnapping. Clements was given a life term and a 17-year prison term for kidnapping the teenage victim, which will be served consecutively with a life sentence for first-degree murder. Now, we'll jump back into chatting with Arizona Daily Star reporter Caitlin Schmidt. Tell me what that scene is like. Tell me what your process is like in there and when you're in the thick of it day to day covering the case. Definitely. Yeah, um, I was certainly relieved for those weekend days after after long hours sitting on wooden court benches. But, you know, I mean, it's a challenge. You you get the you get the morning portion and, and that's kind of the easy time where you can just listen and take notes. Um, but, you know, when we have deadlines at the end of the day, once we come back from lunch, um, that's kind of the time where as a reporter, you have to be writing your article as you are listening and paying attention, which is not something I could have done when I first started. Um, But I have covered enough court cases, not necessarily gavel to gavel, but I mean, even if you're just covering a sentencing of a high profile case, you know, we want to get that news out fast. So you have to be able to work as you listen and absorb. So, um, you know, there were days that were easier than others where my story was pretty much done right before three o'clock and ready to go and nothing changed. And then there were days where like my story was done. And then 15 minutes before deadline, the real bombshell dropped and we had to completely rework the top. Um, that happened several times, but you know, that's, that's kind of the exciting part about this job, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, it was long, it was tough. Um, luckily, the judge um, has had morning calendar on Mondays. So we didn't have trial on Monday. It was just Tuesday through Friday. But, you know, it was really long days. And this case was quite dr- different than any other one that I've covered. Last year, a different judge that had been assigned to the case that has since moved on um, had really put the kibosh on media coverage um, because they had had to postpone the first trial. Um, during COVID, one of the TV stations down here Um, did what we are legally allowed to do and went into um, the records room and basically filmed every single piece of evidence, whether or not would be admissible in trial and put together a multi-part series about here's the case against this guy. And they had to postpone trial for a year because of that, because it seemed like the jury pool was so tainted. Anybody that saw that 
had consumed evidence that never would have been allowed at trial. So um, after they had to postpone that trial from 2021 to 2022, um, the judge on the case at that time clamped down um, really, really hard. So we weren't allowed to have any cameras in the courtroom um, for either trial, either still or um, for TV stations. Um, they definitely had a harder job than I do because they're really used to relying on that B-roll and, and whatnot, mm-hmm. and we aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, other rules too, like we were not allowed to talk to any of the attorneys while the trial is going on, which is kind of unheard of. But, you know, they were really concerned about, ironically enough, a mistrial, um, not for the reason that we got one, but for these kinds of things. Then the trial for Isabel began in February of 2023. Similar to Maribel's case, the prosecution used a combination of computer data and internet searches, as well as cell phone location evidence to place Clements near the Celes home at the time of her abduction in 2012. And we had the same group of reporters covering this last one every day. So um, by the end, we had kind of like this creepy crime reporter club. Um, we actually all just reunited yesterday for a status conference and it felt like a high school reunion. So, you know, there was some camaraderie built up in there and absorbing all of that trauma and having to cover a trial where the defense seriously was that the victim's father was involved. I mean, that was that was tough. <laughs> Okay, just some background here. Christopher Clements' defense attorneys had argued to the jury that Sergio Celis, Isabel's father, was to blame in her death, although he was never charged and testified he had nothing to do with it. And also, although Clements led authorities to Isabel's remains in the desert. I was looking at your Twitter, and I looked at a tweet that you retweeted of one of your colleagues. Um, it was an article he oh, wrote yeah. in 2018. Yeah, like basically, uh, we, we owe the father an apology for blaming him for all of this when yeah. he was never any of this. He was officially never a person of interest or a suspect. Or was he a person of interest? Or, I, I mean, officially. Yeah. So uh, it's tough to say. I mean, there was a lot of media scrutiny put on him. Um, the police definitely t- talked to him. There was information released about his reaction. I mean, his 911 call was a big deal because he was able to be so calm as compared to his wife and, and son. Um, but I'm not actually sure if he was ever an official suspect because they weren't allowed to talk about that in court. Um, It it does appear that at one point in time, the police tried to get um, his wife, Becky, to initiate a confrontation call um, to try to sort out some of the information, but she refused to do that. And to my knowledge, he was never formally questioned. Um, But, you know, everybody in town assumed he was guilty. I mean, I remember years later in the newsroom, some people would come in and be like, I was at Costco and I saw Sergio and Becky And it just was this thing. Um, And, you know, it's sad because I think if we knew or if we paid attention in 2012 um, to trauma and trauma responses the way we do now, that wouldn't have happened. Um, We now know that everybody responds to trauma differently and not necessarily the way we want them to. And when Sergio got on the stand and they asked him about the 911 call and why he was able to remain so calm, first of all, he talked about his background working as a trauma tech in a hospital where you have to be able to remain calm. And then he told the jury that he was very aware when he made that phone call that it was the most important call he'd ever make in his life and he needed to get everything out. And I mean, how do you, great, good, good for you if you can keep your composure to do that. But, um, you know, it was tough. If he had been the defendant, um, the state could have presented all sorts of, all sorts of people to testify about trauma and trauma response, but he wasn't a suspect. And so he really could only defend himself up there at trial. 
Yeah, but crazy part about this is in this most recent trial, the defense really went with that, right? Like, hey, Sergio is, they don't look at Clements over here. It's the other guy. It's the father, which I think is why that retweet happened with you and that kind of thing. It is an interesting and poor take to go that route. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, but you know, it's and it's it's unfortunate and it was tough to write because yeah. I didn't want to give space to that. Um, but you have to be fair and give space to that. Because it's what's um, being said, right? It's yeah. what's being said. Yeah. And quite honestly, if you're Christopher Clement's defense attorney and you know that there was some scrutiny about the dad and you don't present this as a defense, I think you're kind of setting him up, um, you know, to appeal the case. It's it's an obvious defense. Look at the person that they were looking at first. It just is um, it felt a little despicable. We need to take a quick break, so don't go too far. Ultimately, the jury of eight men and four women said it could not reach a verdict in the trial of Christopher Clements on first-degree murder in the death of six-year-old Isabel. They deliberated for two days before Pima County Superior Court Judge James Marner declared a mistrial on March 3rd of 2023 based on the jury's inability to reach a unanimous decision. The, the ending that we got to with the mistrial, the 11 to 1, juries can't make a decision, jurors can't make a decision, excuse me. Did you see that coming? Um, no, I, I didn't. Um, you know, the first, in the first case, it took them about the same amount of time to come up with a conviction. Um, so this didn't seem weird to us. Um, we were pretty convinced they'd come back with something because they were deliberating on Thursday and Friday and we knew that they wouldn't want to come back until Tuesday. And there was a good chance they might've been sequestered. Who knows? Um, but no, I, I didn't see, I didn't see a mistrial coming. And when we spoke to the jurors that we spoke to after the fact, it made a lot more sense. Um, why we had this mistrial. In an article from March 13th of 2023, four of the jurors from Christopher Clements' recent mistrial said the deadlock stemmed from one person who refused to deliberate and would not vote to convict based on the standard of proof used in criminal trials. The jurors who spoke with the Arizona Daily Star said they had no doubt about Clements' guilt in the kidnapping and slaying of Tucson's six-year-old Isabel. Jurors said as deliberations became heated, the holdout juror told others that they wouldn't listen to anything else anyone had to say, and at one point, literally put their fingers in their ears and began talking loudly. One of the jurors interviewed, who wished to remain anonymous, that this juror vocalized that they were not operating on the grounds of reasonable doubt and that they were operating on the grounds of beyond all doubt. So, beyond a reasonable doubt means... The evidence must be so strong that there's no reasonable doubt that the defendant committed the crime. The jurors try to explain that isn't the level of certainty they have to reach, but the person said they needed more evidence. We can't insert any of our own questions or opinions mm -hmm. into that, but I really mm -hmm. do find it interesting how much attention there was on this case 10 years ago, 11 years ago when this girl went missing, but where, where was that attention You know, when there was some resolution? And whatnot, and I think for for us, the the journalists that were there every single day covering it, we really felt like we owed it to the family and to the community to cover it as rigorously as it had been covered when she was missing. Um, so you know, that was just kind of an aside for us. It was kind of grueling work, but when you you know when you tell a story like that, when a family gets dragged through the mud like that family did back in two thousand twelve, you know, we kind of want to do our best to uh, make reparations how however we can and. This was what we felt we could do. 
And in doing so and in writing those articles, have you heard anything back personally from? No. No. And they've been, you know, they're, they're really private and I certainly don't blame them for not wanting to talk to um, the media by any means. They, they talked to us in the past and that didn't necessarily go very well for them. Um, But, you know, they, they've always have been respectful courthouse. um, You know, it's just one of those tough cases. We want to do our jobs, but it's, it's extremely difficult and delicate when it's a child um, involved. I mean, if we hadn't had a juror that, uh, wasn't adhering to our standard that we use in the legal system, things might have turned out very differently. Here's the latest update for you. The retrial for Christopher Clements, who's now 41 years old, is scheduled to take place at 10.30 a.m. on September 12th of 2023 at the Pima County Superior Court in Tucson. He faces three charges related to Isabel's death and disappearance, including first-degree murder, burglary, and kidnapping a minor under age 15. And with that, we wrap up our coverage of the Isabel Celis and Maribel Gonzalez case here on Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles. Keep an ear out for the next case we cover soon. See you then. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You've worked hard for what you have your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.